Hi, everybody. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to episode number 198, Acts of the Apostles, chapter 8. I have a few notes here. Uh, the first is that um, for those listeners that are new, uh, please, uh, whatever app you're using to listen to the podcast, uh, please sort the episodes from old to new. Now, I know the word old has a, a connotation to it, but what we're talking about here is when I had to restart the podcast, we began with the Gospel of Luke. Uh, and I did so intentionally because the Gospel of Luke, uh, written by Dr. Luke, is an excellent, excellent compilation of the other Gospels and gives you the complete history of the Gospel. And we went from there to Acts, because Dr. Luke also wrote Acts. But Acts is the history of the early church, and that was a great place for us to start. So I've noticed a trend where uh, uh, listeners are growing, which is great. But please make sure to listen to the entirety of the Gospel of Luke and catch up to us. Uh, where we are in Acts. Uh, it's a really important thing to do. Okay? Now, uh, today in uh, Acts chapter 8, uh, they're going to, uh, Dr. Luke is going to mention some cities and things. And people have mentioned before, what are these places that you're talking about? And so I thought I'd take a moment to just give you a general geography that we're going to cover because it's kind of important and it's also kind of cool. Uh, you see, the ministry of Christ uh, didn't cover more than maybe 150 miles. Uh, if you want to hit pause, if you have a map app that you use, uh, Bing, uh, Google Maps, Apple Maps, whatever, and if you enter the city of Jerusalem, and you zoom out just a teeny tiny bit until you see a couple of bodies of water. Uh, you'll see Jerusalem, and on the southeast of Jerusalem, there's a body of water. That's the Dead Sea. But if you see a body of water to the north, that's the Sea of Galilee. Now, today, we're going to mention the city of Samaria, which doesn't exist anymore. The general land of Samaria is basically central Israel, very important historically to our faith. Uh, the city of Samaria was renamed by King Herod in honor of um, uh, Augustus. And uh, if you zoom out where you see Jerusalem in the south and the body of water in the north, that's the Sea of Galilee, or Lake Tiberia. Uh, Samaria was renamed Sebastia. It's roughly right in the middle. Okay? Now, if you're looking at your map, uh, just south of Jerusalem is Bethlehem, which we covered in the Gospel of Luke. And if you go between Sebastia and the Sea of Galilee, you'll also see Nazareth. Okay? Obviously, Jesus is of Nazareth. Now, if you notice, Nazareth is not very far from the Sea of Galilee. Uh, 
And that's where Christ met up with his apostles. Simon Peter was of Tiberias, okay? And so you see geographically, the entire history of our faith doesn't cover a lot of ground. As a matter of fact, if you go just uh, just east of Jerusalem, you'll see there the city of Jericho where the walls fell down. Now, the next thing I wanted to cover, this one is just cool. It's, it's very cool for me. If you look at your uh, uh, Gospel of Acts, uh, chapter 8, right around verse 26, uh, we see another angel coming up. And you know how I love angels. And today we're going to cover Philip a little bit that I mentioned in the last chapter. But here in verse 26, uh, it goes like this. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, here's where it gets cool. Where is Gaza? Well, uh, just like I said, uh, uh, to get to Samaria, you've got uh, you got two ways you can go. It's roughly an hour. You can take you could take a western route. Uh, which is the Tel Aviv-Jerusalem Highway, or you can go the eastern route, uh, which is actually shorter, but it, it's hillier. Anyway, Gaza is uh, it's a maritime city, and it's in the West Bank, and it's way the heck south and west of Jerusalem, right near the shore. Okay, today it's called Gaza City. Now, the angel said, go south on the desert road. Now, the angel told Philip to meet up with an Ethiopian eunuch that we're going to get to. We're going to cover the entire chapter. I just wanted to give you some geography before we get into it. Now, the Ethiopian eunuch uh, was a servant of the Kandake, which is the queen mother of Ethiopia. Uh, it's also called Candace. Now, uh, the, Ethiopi the Ethiopian eunuch was the treasurer. And the reason they had eunuchs uh, as servants uh, for royalty was for obvious reasons. Uh, sometimes they were, they were uh, bedroom guards, so to speak. And the royalty didn't want a servant um, being tempted with the royal mother the queen mother, things of this nature. And they also did so because they were servants of uh, secretive nature. And they were expensive. But, you know, that's another type of history that we can get into later. What's really, really cool here, if you're into the history of our faith at all, our theology of all, which I'm a geek, is many people argue, where is Desert Gaza? or Gaza. Nobody knows. Okay? They argue about it, and they get all puffed up and think, I'm right in this, that, or the other thing. But let me tell you something that is top secret to me, and I just think is really cool. When they meet up, and we'll get to it, uh, they come upon some water. And when they come upon this water, 
that's where uh, the eunuch says, let's get baptized. Matter of fact, just let me read it for you real quick. It's verse 36. As they rode along, this is Philip and the eunuch. As they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? Here's something that's always, always just stuck in my mind. Where is this water? Now, let me tell you a secret. This is my personal secret. Take it or leave it. It's just something that always gets me excited. If you have your Google Maps open or whatever app you're using, and you go south of Jerusalem, you come upon Bethlehem. If you've ever been to Israel, Bethlehem is a hop, skip, and a jump from Jerusalem. Not, not far at all. Okay? Now, if you keep going south, and you zoom in on your Google Maps, you'll come upon three little rectangular areas of water. And you'll see it's just south and west of Jerusalem, along which is a path that if this Ethiopian eunuch, uh, who was Jewish, and he was returning from Jerusalem to go back to Ethiopia, this is a possible way these people might have been traveling in their carriage. Well, there's three little rectangular pools there. Those are called the Pools of Solomon. Literally, King Solomon. Now, Solomon's pools uh, were rumored, and they were there since the time of Solomon. Uh, some people think they might have been built in the first century B.C., and so forth. But there's a rumor that uh, Solomon's pools were for his many wives and his many concubines. And he had many. Oh, it would have been great to be Solomon, you know. But, you know, that, that's a legend that the pools were built for him. And these pools are, are fed by springs. Uh, many, many rich springs. And um, these pools fed ancient Jerusalem via aqueducts. And Solomon actually mentioned this in Scripture. It's in the book of Ecclesiastes. Oh, gosh. Uh, Ecclesiastes 2 and 6. This is good stuff here. Uh, let, let's, let's read just a little bit, um, starting in chapter 2. This is King Solomon. Greatest king of all time. Uh, this is where he speaks about uh, his, his, his burdens. Okay. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I said to myself, Come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. Remember, Solomon prayed to God for wisdom. Okay, if you look at the, at the Koine Greek, you could translate it as the wisdom of um, organization, which is why his kingdom was so well organized and flourished so thoroughly. But to King Solomon, 
the burden of his wisdom was knowing the fruitlessness of life. And we'll get to that when we get into some of the Psalms. But let's keep going. Uh, King Solomon continues, I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. With the wisdom that King Solomon was granted, he knew how our lives are, uh, Paul wrote, just a, a mist of vapor on the historicity of eternity. Our lives are nothing more than the blink of an eye. And he understood why our lives are what they are. We are here to prove to God, do we want to serve him? Do we want to choose him of our own free will? We cannot choose him. And when our lives in this life end, we'll go somewhere not so pleasant, i.e. hell. Or we can choose him. We can choose the sacrifice he gave with his son. We can accept Christ as our savior and then have a better life in heaven. Well, all of this weighed on Solomon, and that's what he's talking about here. And here's where we get to the part that is relevant for today's scripture. Uh, verse 4, King Solomon says, in order to ease this burden, he sang. King Solomon says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves and blah, 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 blah. And here in verse 8, I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. But in these verses, King Solomon mentions these reservoirs. And these reservoirs were present and known at the time that Philip met up with the Ethiopian eunuch. So could these reservoirs King Solomon's pools be where the, this Ethiopian eunuch was baptized because they baptized like um, John the Baptist did by immersion. Okay? And uh, many springs fed these pools. They're still there today. Uh, and a matter of fact, I, I've looked uh, just in history, there was a beautiful picture taken around the turn of the century, uh, the 20th century, uh, taken around 1908. I think that might even be on, um, what you call it, Wikipedia now. You can look that up. Uh, but they're beautiful. And uh, they're just south and west of Bethlehem. 
And since the, uh, the angel ordered Philip to take the road south of Jerusalem, that would have been a path that he took. But a lot of uh, people that get all puffed up with thinking that they know everything. I know I don't know anything. I do. That's why I go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and just read what is written and explain what is taught. And I don't try to go on too many of my own beliefs. This is one of my own personal beliefs. Wouldn't it be cool if the Ethiopian eunuch was baptized in the pools of King Solomon, chosen of God, blessed by God. Uh, so I just wanted to point out this little bit of geography to you. Every once in a while, if you believe in God and you want to look at the lands that God chose for his people, just pull up Google Maps and zoom around. There's Jericho, there's Bethlehem, there's Samaria, which is now Sebastia. Uh, there's uh, Lake Tiberias. There's Nazareth. These are the lands that our apostles walked. These are the lands that Christ walked. And if you ever have a time to take a guided tour, uh, please do it. If my health was better, I would offer to take people on tours. Uh, it, it's... I wonder what the land looked like during the time of Christ. Was the level of Lake Tiberias the same today as it was in the time of Christ? The area where Christ um, spoke along the Sea of Galilee, where, where he asked for a boat and he went out and floated, and the area that it's believed where Christ spoke is a beautiful amphitheater. Uh, his voice would have just traveled over the water to the masses listening to him speak. It's, it's just, it's, it's, oh gosh. It, if you believe in God at all, take the tour. Walk. I'm sorry. Have you? Every once in a while, I'm just overcome by the Spirit. And I often hit pause and, and record over it, but I'm getting old enough <laughs> that I don't worry about that anymore. The lands that God gave our people is beautiful. Take the tour and meditate on the beauty, the majesty, the power of God. In today's world, it is so difficult to tune out the filth that we're bombarded with. And I feel so, so sorrowful of today's youth where they think that the things that are condoned today are okay because they don't know any better. And God gave his people generations to learn. The Bible is available to everyone today in multiple forms. And that's why I do these teachings. I make it so you don't have to read the Bible on your own if you have a busy life.
usually I don't go on these rants, as you know. But um, today's is, is just special. You need you need to to take the lands that God chose for His people, and and you need to just at least be familiar with the with the general geographic region. So when we're going through scriptures, I've tried to highlight it before. You know the areas we're talking about at least on maps. But I just wanted to point that out to you today because King Solomon's pools. I would have loved to have been there if he built them. You know, he says he built reservoirs. These are there today. Legend has it that he built them for his wives. But it's so cool to see part of Scripture alive today. Uh, If you ever have a chance to go to Sebastia or Samaria, the ruins are still there today. It was it was it was the 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 uh, it was the capital of of the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, Samaria, the Samaria city, which is now Sebastia. Uh, when was that? During the ninth century or so, uh, BC. Okay. So the history that we read in Scripture, the ruins are still there today. History agrees with Scripture. For those that are still doubting the truth of God, you can walk those lands today. You can put your hands in the dirt. You can see where Jericho is today. You can feel the history and the Spirit of God is there. It's beautiful. Okay? And so that's why I just wanted to point a little bit about this out now. But I'll stop all this and we'll get back to, to our normal teachings uh, in just a second. I need to get a drink of water. Okay, now in chapter 7 of uh, the Acts of the Apostles, Remember we left off um, where Stephen gave just a beautiful history of our faith, the Christian faith, through the Old Testament. And they stoned him to death. And standing there uh, was Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus was holding the robes of those that killed Stephen. Okay, that's where we left off. And you know, or if you don't know, I've mentioned before, this man that that, uh, Dr. Luke is talking about here, Saul of Tarsus, becomes the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest authors of the New Testament and a great man of God. But here, he's being introduced as the greatest persecutor of Christians. Okay, Acts of the Apostles, chapter 8, verse 1. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. And remember, Stephen was, was so full of the Holy Spirit when he was uh, addressing the Sanhedrin. Uh, the leaders of, of the Jewish council, that his face glowed and he looked up into the heavens and saw Christ at the right hand of God. Yet here, Saul, a very educated man, 
a, a very faithful man of the Jewish faith, agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. And watch how the nature of Saul changes in the next few chapters. Okay, let's keep going. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. This is where we were talking about why I mentioned in uh, to pull up Google Maps or whatever you use to get an idea uh, of what we're talking about. Uh, some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Remember, the city of Samaria was the... the, 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 the the, the, <laughs> why am I stuttering? The ruling city uh, of the northern kingdom of Israel. A lot of history there. Verse 6. Crowds intently listened to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits. That should actually be translated unclean, but same idea. Many unclean spirits, many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. Now, remember when we went over the Gospel of Luke and our other Gospels, if you've been with me from the beginning, uh, whenever Christ cast out an evil spirit or an unclean spirit, they screamed as they left. Remember how, how the unclean spirits prayed to Christ to please don't send them back to hell, but instead, or Hades, as it was called, depending upon the translation, uh, they begged Christ to send them into the pigs. And Christ answered their, their, I don't know if prayer is the right word, but their request. Okay, they always screamed when they left the victims. Okay, uh, to continue. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Okay, now see, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit in action. That's what the book of Acts was. Okay, Christ healed. Christ cast out demons and evil spirits and unclean spirits. Through Christ, his apostles were given that authority because Christ on the day of Pentecost unleashed the Holy Spirit on the apostles. Okay, they had the power of Christ in them because Christ gave them that power. Many exaggerate that today, and it's actually a sin. Okay, um. Let's continue. I was just going to say, remember how we just went over in the beginning of Acts, where uh, Simon Peter was so full 
of the Holy Spirit. That uh, during his first sermon, during his first lesson, 3,000 were converted on that day. And remember how Simon Peter was so full of the Holy Spirit that when people lied to them, they dropped dead because the Holy Spirit knew the truth of their lives. Okay? Verse 9. A man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. They listened to him, they listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. Now, we have to think back at, uh, well, first, uh, you know, magic is mentioned in many places throughout Scripture. Uh, but we have to think back at, in context of how people lived in these days, thousands of years ago. Okay? But, but, I'm going to stop here, and uh, meaning I'm just going to stop, and I just wanted to mention that. People believe this person was the great one, the power of God, okay? Just keep that in the back of your mind. What I'm getting at is how quickly people can fall away from their faith. Uh the nation of Israel had fallen away from their faith so far that they didn't recognize their prophecied prophet and Messiah, even though the Pharisees, even though the Sadducees knew the word of God, they didn't have God's spirit anymore. They didn't have the heart of God. They weren't communing with God. And there's a big, big, big difference between going to church on a Sunday and saying you're a Christian and spending time in the Word and talking to God just like you would talk to a friend, uh, because God is your friend. When I go outside on sunny days to sit, sit, in, uh, to sit in the sun, just to feel the sun on my face, because I miss the days when I was physically strong and active, I'll sit out there and I'll just talk to God and I'll, 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 I'll praise him. I'll say, praise be El, Eloa, Elion, Elohim, Shaddai, Aye, Asher, Aye, Jehovah, Jireh, Jehovah, Nisi, Jehovah, Rapha. Praise Elohim. And I say that because those are the names of God. And I put those on goodfriar.com for you. Uh, I also say the names of, of Christ. I say the names of the Holy Spirit. Ruach Hakma, Ruach HaKadosh, Ruach Elohim, Ruach, Ruach Yahweh, Spirit of God, Spirit of the Holy One. And I'll just thank God for his greatness and thank God that that I'm alive and say, Heavenly Father, I know I don't deserve you. I know I'm not worthy 
to study your word. I know I'm not worthy even to be in the shadow of your son. Nevertheless, as John the Baptist said, to carry his sandals. I know I'm filthy in the flesh that I live in, but know that my heart is turned to you. And you have to develop that relationship with God to grow the spirit within you. It's so, so important. People today are so lost because of the multitude of the distractions that take you away from the important thing. And the important thing is this life is finite. You are going to die and you must prepare for that. You must repent of your sins because Christ paid the price. You must truly repent and accept Christ as your favor, as your savior, but don't go through the motions. Your soul is what lives forever. Your heart lives forever. Not this body, not this body that decays and dies and rots. Your soul. And Jesus Christ himself said, one human soul is worth more than the entirety of the world. It doesn't matter if that human soul is someone who is um, addicted to drugs, uh, where Satan has overcome them, and they're lying on the street dying, and people are ignoring them, and people walk by every day, or drive by in their Bentleys or their fancy cars, and people scoff at them. Well, inside that drug-addled body is a soul, and that soul belongs to God. If you are truly a servant of God and believe in him, you'll get out of your car and say, is there anything I can do? How can I help you? And, and look to a clinic to ease their addictions and then minister to them. Spend time with them. Let them know that you are a human being. You believe in God and you're willing to spend time with them and minister to them and pray with them because God will heal them. God will give you the strength to minister to those that have fallen out of society where no one cares. You should care because inside that person, that body, is an everlasting soul that belongs to God. And people today, they laugh at that. They scoff at it. They make fun of me for talking about it. Feel free to mock me. I'll keep teaching because every human being that listens to this is important. You are important. You are loved by me. If you need help, reach out to me. I'll speak with you. I'll minister to you. But far more important to me, you are loved by Almighty God.
you are loved by Jesus Christ. If you repent, you have his spirit within you. Listen to these teachings. The spirit will grow within you. Read the word on your own. You can understand it now because I walk through it with you. Meditate on the word. Meditate on the words of on the names of God. And just talk to God. Lay your burdens on him. Heavenly Father, I have these health problems. I lay my burdens on you. You are Jehovah Jireh. You are Jehovah Rapha. Those are, the Lord is your provider. The Lord is your healer. Okay? God is here for you. But you have to speak with him. You have to develop that relationship. Don't go through the motions. Take the time. Why? Because you are worth it. Your eternal life is worth it. Verse 12. But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. That's Simon the sorcerer or Simon the magician. He, Simon, began following Philip wherever he went. And he was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria, that's the city we just talked about in the region, central Israel, had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. That's Simon, Peter, and John. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. Okay, now here we have to pause just for a minute and examine some things. And you might say, why? And that's because there are many, many people that, I hate to say it, but they misteach about the Holy Spirit. And that's a bad, bad thing to do. Let's quickly examine uh, the words that were written by Dr. Luke. The apostles in Jerusalem heard about the Samaritans accepting God's message, right? Now, we know from our previous lessons in Luke that there was animosity between Jews and Samaritans. Hence, as we went over the gospel of the, or the parable of the Good Samaritan. Well, because Samaria accepted God's message, Peter and John went there. Now, when they went there, they prayed for the believers to receive the Holy Spirit because they had not yet received it. But they had been baptized, right? As stated in verse 16, 
The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, those that were baptized in Samaria, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. So let's quickly outline some subtle differences. At Pentecost, the Jewish people, one, repented, two, were baptized, three, received the Holy Spirit. That was at the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was released. Here, dealing with the Samaritans, there's a difference. One, they believed. Two, they were baptized in the name of Christ. Three, the apostles prayed for them and laid hands on them. And four, at that time, the Samaritans received the Holy Spirit. We can say that this is the birth of the early church. Uh, those of the Jewish faith were used to doing things a, a, a different way for many years than the Samaritans. Okay? So perhaps they wanted to first make sure, this is guessing, they wanted to first make sure that the Samaritans believed before they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. But what we should do, and we're going to quickly do here, is cover what does the New Testament teach us about the reception of the Holy Spirit. The outpouring, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit occurred when first? That was in Jerusalem. Okay, Acts 2 one through four. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire, and I went over the subtleties and translations there when we covered Acts chapter two, appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. That's number one. Okay. Now, when the church added new groups, the Holy Spirit was released. The first occurrence here as the Samaritans that we just covered in Acts 11 through 17. Coming up, we have the Gentiles that we'll get to in chapter 10 when they received the Holy Spirit, but I'll briefly read a few verses now. This is Acts chapter 10, beginning with verse 44. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. Okay, so first, the Jews, the chosen of God, the Father, received the Holy Spirit 
Second, the Samaritans received the Holy Spirit. Third, the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit. And next, it's in uh, Acts chapter 19, we'll see the disciples of John the Baptist received the Holy Spirit. Remember, John the Baptist was baptizing long before this. He baptized Jesus Christ himself. But we'll get to it soon in chapter 19. But I'll read just a few verses now since we're covering the Holy Spirit. Uh, Acts chapter 19, beginning with verse 1. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast, where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, he asked them. No, they replied. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience? And they replied, the baptism of John. Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues. So notice, each time the Holy Spirit is released here, it is an apostle who lays hands, and then they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What we can learn from this is apart from these special times, Day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, uh, baptism of the Samaritans who received the Holy Spirit, baptism of the Gentiles who received the Holy Spirit, by laying hands of the apostles and those of John the Baptist uh, receiving laying of hands from Paul. Uh, the New Testament is devoid of references to Jews or Gentiles receiving the Holy Spirit by the laying of apostolic hands. But we know what? Because of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit remains with the church and lives in the hearts of all true believers. We have a few references for this. Uh, Romans 5 and 5. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Uh, there's also Romans, which I love Romans. Romans 8, 9 through 11. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them 
do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. There's a couple other references that I'm going to read now because the Holy Spirit is this important. It really, truly is. Let's go to uh, Ephesians 1 and 13. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. God purchased you. He purchased me. We are to praise him. Remember, the names of God, the names of the Holy Spirit, I placed online for you. Meditate with God. Commune with God. Read his word. Listen to these teachings. It is that important. There's another one in Ephesians is pretty good. Ephesians 4 and 30. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live, okay? If you live in a sinful way, it brings sorrow to God through his Holy Spirit. Every sin brings the Spirit pain. Try to live that righteous life. Ephesians continues, Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Now, Paul also uh, teaches more about the Holy Spirit, um, as we just covered some, but Paul reveals something very important. And that our bodies, your body, my body, even though my body is repellent, I assure you. But Paul reveals that our bodies are the temple 
of the Holy Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit lives within us. A couple of good verses for this are 1 Corinthians 3 and 16. Don't you realize that all of you, meaning all believers, he was writing to, to the Corinthians, all believers then and now, don't you realize that you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Notice the next couple of verses here. Very relevant today. Verse 18. Stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you are wise by this world's standards, you need to become a fool to be truly wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. As the scriptures say, he traps the wise in the snare of their own cleverness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. He knows they are worthless. So don't boast about following a particular human leader for everything belongs to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Peter or the world or life and death or the present and the future. Everything belongs to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. So what can we, you and I, learn from all of these thoughts on the Holy Spirit. We know from Scripture that those who believe and are baptized also have the Spirit of God. Okay? So don't listen to fools who take Scriptures out of context and teach foolish things about the Holy Spirit. Trust God. Trust the Word. Listen to the Word. Listen to the Holy Spirit in you. Don't follow fools. Okay? Very important. From there, Simon... Uh, Go, or Simon. <laughs> From there, Dr. Luke goes back to Simon. Remember, Simon uh, had false faith. Okay? He wanted the gift of the Holy Spirit because of the power that goes with it. And he was not rewarded because of that false faith. Well, let's just, let's just read the words of Scripture. Excuse my voice. Chapter, uh, verse 18. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given 
when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. Remember, Simon was already baptized, okay? But his faith was false. Verse 19, Simon says, Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, May your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this, for your heart is not right with God. Remember, Simon Peter was full of the Holy Spirit, and remember how Christ taught about hypocritical faith, the hypocrites, the very leaders of the Jewish faith, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those who pretended to be leaders of the faith, Jesus Christ himself called hypocrites because he is God. He can see their false faith. He can see the vileness of their hearts. Okay. Simon Peter could see the same thing in Simon as well. Therefore, even though he was baptized, he would not receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Do you see the importance of this? All right. Simon Peter continues. Verse 22. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts. For I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. Now, there's a there's a word that's uh well, it's not popular anymore. Uh but there's a word called simony, S I M O N Y. Uh basically what that means is um <laughs> making a business out of that which is sacred, uh, selling indulgences and other supposed spiritual benefits, basically commercializing the faith. And that is vile. Okay, commercializing faith is vile. Okay, it is vile, not to me, it is vile to God. It is vile to Simon Peter here because Peter was full of the Holy Spirit. Here, Simon the sorcerer was wanting to commercialize the Holy Spirit. It's sick, okay? And because Simon Peter was full of the Holy Spirit, he was revulsed by it just as God is revulsed by it. Okay? And that's why, well, I don't charge for these things because I, I would feel guilty. I'm here to teach the Word of God as best I can to help those that want to learn the truth. 
then you can read the word yourself again. Hopefully it'll make more sense to you. I'm doing uh, this not for me. I'm uh, Well, I guess partially I am because I feel compelled to because I have a, a hint of the Holy Spirit in me every once in a while. Like, uh, like earlier today, I cried because I was overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit, by the beauty and the majesty of God. Sometimes when I when I read the word, uh, I told you I'll feel it between my shoulder blades, but commercializing faith is just, it's, I couldn't do it. Uh, and that's what Simon Peter is doing here. He's saying, this is revolting to God. And then in verse 24, Simon the, the sorcerer says, pray to, pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed that these terrible things you said won't happen to me. And here he wasn't praying in earnestness. He was praying not to be punished, and that's just... Uh, anyway. You know what this brings to mind? Simon here is... Uh, uh, it reminds me of Pharaoh. How many times did Pharaoh ask Moses and Aaron to pray to the Lord for him? But he never repented. Okay. <laughs> Where is that? Exodus, uh, Exodus 8 and 8. Uh, then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and begged, plead with the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people. I will let your people go so they can offer sacrifices to the Lord. You set the time, Moses replied. Tell me when you want me to pray for you, your officials and your people. Then you and your houses will be rid of the frogs. They will remain only in the Nile River. Do it tomorrow, Pharaoh said. But how many times over and over and over again did it? Did it did God have to set plagues on Pharaoh? And why did God have to do that? Because Pharaoh never repented. He was false. And it's just, uh, Scripture is full of hypocrites. Uh, it's just, okay. Uh, well, here, uh, Dr. Luke stops uh, the story of uh, of uh, Simon the sorcerer, and he continues. Verse 25. After testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. And now we get to the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. I just, I just love this. I just, I just, verse 26. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now remember, we don't really know where Gaza is. Some people say, well, it has to be Gaza City. Anything could be, but I doubt it. 
Some people say it's the desert Gaza. Well, where is that? Nobody knows. But anyway, I told you that story. I like the idea that perhaps it was the pools of Solomon, just because it goes with Scripture. And I just think that's cool. But verse 27. So he, Philip, started out, and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, meaning this eunuch was the treasurer of Ethiopia. And I explained before uh, what a eunuch is. Uh, basically, a eunuch is a man who has been castrated uh, for the purpose of trusted servitude in a royal household. Uh, that's brought up in Esther a couple of times, in Daniel. But it could be a guardian of a royal bedroom. Uh, it could be a, someone who's assigned special tasks. Why? Because they can't have sons, which is important in that time. They uh, obviously wouldn't be tempted uh, uh, sexually for certain things, of course, and so forth and so on. So it was a very common pra practice, not only here in the Middle East, but throughout Asia, China, India, all over the world. Very common practice. It was a common practice to castrate uh, those who uh, conducted uh, the vile homosexual acts that I've explained to you before, uh, clearly in Scripture, is absolutely a sin. And I happen to think that's, a, that's not a bad idea. God himself said, uh, well, we've went over that before. It's obviously a sin. But let's continue. So he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Kandake, the queen of Ethiopia. And the Kandake is a title for queens and queen mothers of uh, ancient African empires. Uh, for example, Kush, known as Nubia. And this one is Ethiopia. Uh, the eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship because he was Jew. So he'd gone to Jerusalem, obviously from Ethiopia, and he was now returning. So this is where I get the idea. If he's returning from Jerusalem to Ethiopia, his path would obviously be south and not all the way to Gaza City, which is on the shore in the Gaza Strip. Verse 28, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. Now, this is, this is awesome. Here's a, here, the angel said to meet this Ethiopian eunuch, right? And now, Philip, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit says to Philip, hey, uh, go over and walk beside the carriage. And what is the Ethiopian eunuch reading? The beautiful, wonderful uh, book of the prophet Isaiah, uh, where we'll get to, he's talking about the Messiah, okay? In Scripture, uh, the, the Scriptures that the, the Ethiopian eunuch are reading, if you're curious, is Isaiah uh, 53, 7 and 8. But we'll get to that. But look at the beauty of the timing. It's awesome. Verse 30. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. So obviously the eunuch was reading out loud. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. 
Here, this very important Ethiopian eunuch invited Philip up into the carriage with him. Verse 32. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Verse 34. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him, the good news about Jesus. Why? Because the prophet Isaiah was speaking of the Messiah. Verse 36. As they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop. And they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north at the town of Azotus. He preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. Okay, a couple of things to notice here is that the baptism uh, by Philip was also by immersion. Notice he says they went down into the water and they came up out of the water. And the last thing is something I think really, really cool. The Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and Philip found himself farther north at a town of Azotus. So this is uh, clearly uh, another miracle. And how cool would that be to transport yourself to somewhere like that? (laughs) Okay, well, that's the end of... uh, Chapter 8, Acts of the Apostles. Uh, As always, please remember to like, subscribe, uh, and share via social media, every social media platform you have, uh, these Bible studies, because uh, now is a very important time for everybody. We need to spend a little bit of time in the Word. And I try to make it easy for you. You don't have to read anything. You can just sit there and listen. Uh, All right, Uh, as always, uh, I'll leave you with a blessing. Heavenly Father, as I raise my right hand, please extend through me your grace, your loving and healing touch, the peace that only you can provide to your listeners as I extend to them Numbers 624-26. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. 
May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks so much for listening. Till next time, God bless.